Well, good morning. How about we give another round of applause if we think Rodney needs a solo every, every Sunday. He's coming for you, James. James, what did you have for breakfast 11 years ago? Okay. Well, your mind is like a steel trap. And I agree with Mary. You're too young to be retired. With a mind like that, you need to be working. Thank you, Rodney, for singing that. Where'd you go? You might have run out here. Where'd you go? Still in here? Okay, I see. Thank you. That was, that was very good. Well, we finally made it. And I'm not talking about fair week. We made it to the last fruit of the Spirit, uh, self-control. So we finally made it to Fair Week 2. I know that's a big deal to everybody down here. So, uh, so today we're going to speak, or, or, or I'm going to preach on self-control, which I don't have much of, so I'm going to, I'm going to preach mostly about grace, but self-control is going to be in here as well. So uh, let's get going. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And uh, as I'm sitting here reading, I, all I can think about is John Rowland, and I'm so glad that you're sitting right here. You are my crutch. When I get nervous, I look at John Rowland because I know he's listening and his just his face right here in this front row gives me <laughs> his face gives me great comfort. So when he's not here, I get upset, not with you, with with the fact that you're my crutch and you're not here. So I'm glad you're here. So we finally made it to self-control and, and I already made the joke that I'm going to preach about the grace of God because the grace of God is is the most sufficient thing available to us. And um, something that I realized about self-control as, I, as I, I've been thinking about self-control this week, and I often think about self-control because it just don't seem, just doesn't seem to come to me so easily, but something I realized about self-control is that it is not something that is real easy to see in people until they don't have it, and then it's very easy to see in people. Uh, I don't often sit around and think, oh, wow, so-and-so has great amount of self-control, but then when they mess something up tremendously, I think, how could you do that? And, uh, you know, guilty as charged here. Uh, so it, I, I find it much simpler to see kindness or love or peace uh, in someone than it is to see self-control. But when, again, if, if you don't have self-control, it's very easy to see. And that thought led me to think of all the examples in Scripture of people losing self-control. So this is, this is a sermon of having no self-control and that God's grace is sufficient. Uh, so remember that time when Peter chopped that guy's ear off? Of course we remember that time because we think, how could he do that? He's standing in the presence of Jesus and most likely he was trying to kill the guy that he, and he just missed and cut his ear off, and Jesus just kind of places it back on. In John chapter 18, verses 7 through 11, he says, uh, So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. 
Of those whom you gave me, I have lost no one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What about the time that Noah got drunk and passed out naked? This happened after getting off the ark. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, Noah be began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. If we flip back a few pages to chapter 6, verse 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So, Noah start, a few chapters back, it says Noah was a, was a righteous man of God. Now, flip forward a couple of pages, and he tends to the soil, plants a vineyard, gets drunk, and passes out in the tent. Okay, Somewhere along the way, Noah lost a little bit of self-control. Okay. God chose Noah to uh, build the ark and to carry on his legacy through obedience. But then Noah, as time went on, he, he struggled, in this example anyways, uh, or in this passage of Scripture. And we're all going to mess up, okay? And, and we're going to hear more about that uh, through King David. So King David is the same way. Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart. David's life was a portrait of successes and failures. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 37, somebody up there in the sound booth is doing good. You're you getting, you getting going there. David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. So here we have David living boldly and courageously uh, in obedience to the Lord and, and doing what he says. But there were times in David's life when he totally lost his self-control. So what did David do later in his life? Well, let's read on in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Whoops, David, uh, not looking so hot at this point. Uh, so it's at this point of the story, does David realize as he makes a mistake and repent then? No, it does not. David goes on to cause more damage. He sent messengers to Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to send him to the front lines of war to die. And that is what we call murder. So David loses all self-control at this point in his life. Let's read on. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, verses 26 and 27. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did, the, the, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So David does end up marrying Bathsheba, um, but the order of operations was not honoring to the Lord. David was eventually confronted about his sin by Nathan, and 
David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child born to you will die. So if we were to read on in this story, we would find out that the child does die on the seventh day. But here's the kicker. And this is where God's grace comes into play. David, he lives a a wholesome life up until a certain point in time. He, he falls away and does a lot of, obviously, uh, not self-controlled things. And during the mourning process, David comforts Bathsheba again, and they have another child. Okay, I want to read Romans 8.28, and I've asked Steve to do it, and I don't know why the Holy Spirit just led me to have Steve read Romans 8.28 out loud. Read that one more time. Read that one more time. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Let's hear that one more time. <laughs> and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So through all of this disaster, how does God, how does good come out of this situation? David and Bathsheba's son's name was Solomon, the son that lived. His name was Solomon. Let's, let's go into a brief review of the lineage of Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, was the father of Jacob, was the father of Judah, was the father of Perez, was the father of Hezron, was the father of Ram, was the father of Ammonadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadadad
Because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So even through David's disobedience, God had a plan for David's life. David was eventually repentant, which is something the Lord desires from us. Psalm 51 verses 1 through 4 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So what's the point of me sharing all this? There are times in David's life when he was a faithful servant of the Lord, and there were times when he failed completely. But he recognized his failures and he repented of his sin, and the Lord used his failures and his sin for good. Now, does this mean that we can just go on sinning because we know that God's grace is the greatest gift of all? No, it does not. We must fight sin. We, we, we want to have self-control. Often we don't have self-control. Often we don't have self-control. But our pursuit should be self-control and to live a sinless life. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Verses 1 through 23. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we are joined with Christ in baptism, we join Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we have been united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and we will never die again. And He will never die again. I'm sorry. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Do you, don't you realize that you, bec you, that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we, we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to e even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. 
Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have been saved from the grip of sin because of Jesus. And we see that I think, I think God has given us examples such as this to know that there are going to be times in our lives where we're, we're doing right and there's going to be times in our lives when we're doing wrong. And hopefully we don't do as wrong as David has done as we've read today. But when we do do wrong, we must repent from our sin and just seek to understand that the Lord wants us to live holy and righteous lives. So we've covered several examples of having poor self-control this morning, but this is not the path that we want to go down. We want to do our best to be self-controlled. And if we practice self-control, we can avoid many of the pitfalls of this world, and there are several of them. And a few of them are unhealthy sexual desires and anger and judgment and drunkenness and idolatry, and these are just to name a few. God does not want us to flirt with our sin to the point of cutting off someone's ear or getting drunk and passing out in the tent or killing and stealing wives. He does not, that is not what he wants for our lives. Just, just as that long verse in, or that long uh, chapter of Romans says, do we keep on sinning just so that we can see more and more evidence of God's grace? We have plenty of evidence. Let's, so let's just go ahead and stop the sinning. So God desires for us to practice self-control. And we should desire self-control for ourselves. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we are to stay in step with the spirit, and we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, this is the same Peter that chopped the dude's ear off, standing in the presence of Jesus. You know, God right here. And, and Peter says, look at this sword. I'm going to chop this guy's ear off. He's a really smart guy, about as smart as me. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So remember, Peter, chops guy ear off. Then he goes and writes this profound message of God's grace and holiness and God's nature. So it sure seems like over time, Peter realizes that the Lord is who he says he is and, and to trust him. And, he, and, and so 
he is sanctified over time, which is which is what the Lord desires for us. We are going to mess up. We are going to lose self-control. But just like David, just like Peter, we repent and pick up our cross and move on. So we are not perfect. Noah was not perfect. David was not perfect. And Peter was not perfect. Jesus was perfect. He is the, he's the one we are following. And His delight is when we do what He tells us to do. And just as we learned this morning, He says, take my yoke upon you. And we had a laugh because I always heard the word yoke. There's, wor there's words that you encounter in Scripture that you don't, you just kind of glance over, gloss over. And yoke to me was always yoke with an L, egg yolk, you know. Yolk, you know, and uh, just just a month ago, I heard a sermon that it was really focused around just yoke, and that a yoke is a wooden. All right, we're going to the Boone County Fair here. We're talking about animals. Uh, a yoke is a wooden frame that goes on two oxen or maybe more that pulls a wagon. And Jesus says, "Take my yoke upon you." He says, "You know, join hands with me, and and let's." Let's do this life together. And my, and my burden is gentle and easy. I'm not going to take off running with this yoke and break your neck and drag you. Uh, that's not what I'm going to do. That's not my nature. That's not who I am. He says, take my gentle and easy yoke upon you and follow me. So over the last nine weeks, we've learned about the fruit of the Spirit. And we've heard about and read about successes and failures regarding the fruit of the Spirit. And God's aim and direction for us is to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. Now, how do we achieve these things in a world that's moving so fast and we're focused on uh, our jobs and our finances and our family and all these other stressful things? They're good things, but they are stressful. Well, we need to slow down. Everybody just needs to slow down and stop living for this world. We need to live for Jesus. And every single day, we need to wake up and our prayer needs to be, Lord, I want to live for you today. I may have failed yesterday, but your word says that your mercies are new every day. So I need to repent of everything that I messed up yesterday because that is done just what if David didn't repent? What if he said, oh my gosh, I've stolen somebody's wife and I killed him and I had a baby with her and possibly ruined her life on, along the way. We don't know her full, the full extent of her emotional damages uh, that he caused. But he didn't do that. He didn't sulk in all of the mistakes that he made in that situation. He repented and he, and he moved on. And we, we must do the same thing. God's mercies are new every day. So again, I may have failed you yesterday, but your word says that your mercies are new every day. So we need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. We need to be bold when we need to be bold. We need to be quiet when we need to be quiet. We need to encourage one another and speak with kind words. We need to do good works and help people that are in need. We need to be kind to strangers. We need to love people even when we don't always agree with them. We need to have self-control in all situations. We need to remain faithful to what the Lord has in store for us. And, and even though I'm sitting here saying these things, we're all going to leave here and go fail today, most likely, in some of these areas. We're going to lose self-control. Not every day we walk with the Lord is going to be um, fruitful. 
But that is the point of repentance and grace. We repent. God's grace is there for us. Just like when David messed up, his, he still, he, God didn't say, no, you're, I don't want you to be in my lineage. I want that son of yours and you to still remain in my lineage, which is just, it just baffles me thinking about that. God's grace is greater than our failures, and God's grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 says, But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, this is a sermon on self-control. Many of us don't have self-control. So this is turned into a sermon of grace. And this grace is there for us in all of our failures. And this just made me think of the song Amazing Grace. And I don't know if anybody knows the history of that song, but or that hymn was written by John Newton. Does it, do you know this history, James? So John Newton was a wretched sailor with a foul mouth and he was a part of the Atlantic slave trade and somewhere along his way I haven't read super super deeply into this but uh, John Newton was saved by the grace of God and he wrote the song Amazing Grace Amazing Grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangerous toils and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. endures. Yes, when the flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine. So in the 1700s, this man is traveling around stealing humans, taking humans from where they live, putting them on a ship and sending them somewhere else to go be the property of other humans. And God just slaps him right in the face with his grace. But, but he, when he was saved, he didn't stop immediately slave trading. He, he kept doing it. But he started treating slaves more humanely and then eventually became a minister of the gospel. From what I've read, I need to probably read a little deeper. And I hope I, reading stories like this, I, I kind of I get sidetracked because I think, how much of this is true? I hope it's all true because this is an amazing story. And, and that's, that's the way I understand it. Is that the way we understand it, James? Okay, good. He's got a steel trap of a mind. It's like a, it's like a bear trap over there. Where'd you make your first dollar, James? <laughs> so God's grace is sufficient for people like Noah, for people like David, for people like Peter, for people like John Newton, and for people like us. We desire the things of the Lord, but it hurts my head to think how many times during the week I fail miserably, even when I know the truth and I'm trying 
my best to follow the Lord. I am still, in the words of Joby Martin, who's one of my favorite preachers, he says, I am a wretched, black-hearted sinner. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's just true. But God's grace is sufficient for us, for all of us. So do not give up when you fail. It is not us who has strength anyway. It is the Lord who is strong. Remain faithful to Him, even if or when we fail to produce good fruit. But our pursuit should be to know and understand what God's will is for our life. And as I close this this whole message on the fruit of the Spirit, He tells us what to do. He tells us how He wants us to act. He tells us what kind of people He wants us to be. He tells us to attach ourselves to Him and follow Him. And it's not easy for some reason. He gives us such clear direction, but it's not easy. But I think He... Let me back up. During the times of these trials, we must do not turn away from your faith. Lean more heavily on the Word of God and on each other and on and on the Lord. Just He tells us, you know, if you mess up, come back to me. Stay with me. Don't leave me. Stay attached to me. And we, we just got to remember these things, okay? So I hope that over the last nine plus one weeks, uh, that you all have learned a little bit from me. Uh, I'm, I'm so, I'm not leaving, but <laughs> I'm just so appreciative. This is, this is probably the, I don't know, 14th sermon I've ever preached. So um, I feel like I'm growing and I hope that um, the things that I've said up here over the last couple of weeks have been healthy and true and uh, worthwhile and wise. And I'm looking forward to carrying on with the next sermon series. And if anybody has any ideas about that, please text me during the week because I have no idea what I'm doing next week. So be in prayer about that. Let's pray. Father, I am very grateful for your grace. And when we fail, you are there to pick us up and dust us off just like you did Noah and David and everybody else throughout history that followed you. And you tell us to be yoked to you, which means to be attached to you and walk alongside you and that you are gentle with us and you are loving and caring. And we just need to wake up every morning and, and, and just say, Lord, I want to follow you today. And I might mess up. And if I do, let me know where and how I messed up and just allow me to repent from that and move forward with you and not run away from you when I mess up because I know I'm going to. So when I do mess up, just... Show me some of your grace and allow me to carry on. And Lord, I'm grateful for this church and I'm grateful for how they've welcomed me and I'm grateful for the smiles on, on their face when I'm talking up here and it's very comforting to me. And I'm, I'm very grateful for the boldness of Rodney to get up here and sing in front of everybody. And um, we all need more of that boldness. We all need to, to, to get out and get up front in, in front of people and and, and proclaim you and your goodness and your grace. And, and I'm just glad to be a part of a church that, that people have bold faith. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.